Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. Sid Ziegler is the co-founder of Outsports, a website covering LGBTQ plus issues in sports. He's also the author, co-author of three books, most recently, My Life on the Line, How the NFL Damn Near Killed Me and Ended Up Saving My Life by Ryan O'Callaghan. He's broken many stories related to athletes coming out publicly regarding their sexuality and is a member of the National Gay and Lesbian Journalists Hall of Fame. You can find his work at Outsports.com. Hi, Sid. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for chatting with me. So you're currently based in Los Angeles. What's your journalism origin story? <laughs> I, in 1999, with my friend Jim Bozinski, who was an editor at the LA Times at the time, we were on vacation and I was a development executive at Disney Channel, developing music programming and TV shows and movies. And we just started talking about how there really wasn't any publication for gay sports fans. We were both gay, we're both huge NFL fans. And given I fancied myself a writer, not necessarily a journalist, but a writer, and he was an accomplished journalist, we just put this website together. I mean, before that, I had been, you know, editor of the school newspaper in high school, and I'd written some in, in college. I went to Stanford University, but I, w- I wouldn't call myself a journalist in 1999. But you know, you learn quick when you start reporting on news and breaking news and interviewing people. And I just kind of dove feet first, you know, in part with Jim's guidance and part with my uh, un- unprofessional training from high school and college. And we've been doing it ever since. Was there anything in your upbringing that would have lent itself to telling stories? Oh, good question. Uh, my uncle was a a journalist at the Stars and Stripes newspaper in Germany, which is the, the, the military's newspaper overseas. And when I was a kid, I definitely was a writer. I, there were a couple of local, I grew up on Cape Cod in a rural area, and there were a couple of local writing contests that I entered and won, you know, as, as a teenager. So growing up, I, I definitely, writing was definitely part of what I wanted to do. My interest in writing has gone through screenplays and books and short stories and journalism. And, and here I am kind of, I've done the book thing. I've done little short stories. I've done the journalism. I guess the next is I got to write a movie. <laughs> nice. What's the evolution of, of how the site has developed to, to where it is now? When we first started in 1999, it was just two gay guys talking about the NFL. And so it was entirely NFL coverage and us, it was also tongue in cheek. I remember there we, for a long time, we had a, a, a weekly series called tops and bottoms and tops were whoever had done well that week and bottoms were whoever hadn't, you know, no, no, not, not trying to make a social commentary on the sexual interests of gay men. It was just a funny play in words. And slowly over time, we, we, we went less toward the, you know, bleacher report, you know, just fans chatting and more toward journalism, as has bleacher report, frankly. So so that's kind of been the evolution that 
we became less and less just fans chatting about sports and more and more journalists trying to change sports. So how did it come to, to be with Vox? <laughs> it's a funny story. In 2011, I think, the New York Times wrote a story about OutSports and how we had started and what we were doing and some of the stories that we broke in and some of the ground we've been able to break in sports. A very good friend of mine is a guy named Rick Grinnell, who was an ambassador to Germany under Donald Trump and the director of national intelligence. Anyhow, he, one of his college friends saw the story and mentioned it to Rick and Rick said, oh, I, I know that guy, he's a friend of mine. And he, Rick connected me to his college friend. The college friend happened to be at, at Vox Media. I think it might've just been SB Nation at the time. Anyhow, they were looking for websites to purchase and they thought, well, this is interesting. Nobody else is doing this. Maybe we could acquire Outsports. And we had tried over the years to be acquired by LGBT publications and it, or LGBT publications approached us to acquire us and it just never got done. And it was interesting that it was a mainstream quote unquote straight sports entity that got the deal done and really saw our value. And it's been awesome being able to, to through SB Nation and through Vox reach an audience, a lot of them non-LGBTQ and bring our stories because those are some of the people who most need to see it. So how do you decide what goes up on the site? We can run through some examples certainly, but how, do, how does story planning kind of shape out? Good question. There's, there, I guess for, for a lot of publications, there are a couple of different ways. One is catch as catch can. You see something pop up on Twitter or you see a, a breaking story and you want to share your take on it, or it's underreported news. Like we had a, a story recently about two women who got engaged and they're on the same rugby World Cup team uh, for France. It had been unreported in the United States. So we write about it and then, you know, it gets a lot of attention and it's kind of a cool story. It's, it's two women who are on the same team in the Rugby World Cup right now and they just got engaged. And then we have bigger coming out stories that could be about Ryan O'Callaghan, the NFL player. Um, you know, when Michael Sam came out in the NFL, we worked with his team on him coming out. And then there are high school football players, college tennis players, college swimmers, officials, you know, soccer officials, football officials who want to share their stories. And we work with them to share their stories. And, and, and that's, a, that's an interesting process because while you want to make the story very readable for the general audience, the most important thing for me anyway is to, is to make sure that that one person reads that story and says, I'm proud of that story. So when I write those stories, or even when I edit them that other people write, that's really at the back of my mind. Is this one person who's opening up and sharing their life with people to inspire them and make them feel better about themselves? Are they going to be proud and happy with this story? And then there's a whole other host of stories that maybe aren't so nice or they're exploratory. I, I For National Coming Out Day, I wrote an a column about seven main reasons I've heard from athletes about why they were reticent of 
to come out or don't come out, trying to open people's eyes that it's not some people say, oh, well, you know, male sports must be so homophobic and horrible because there aren't more men out. Well, everybody has a different reason. And there are lots of different reasons that people may not come out. Some of them sports related, some of them not. So it's really, those are kinds of three, three different kinds of stories that we do, kind of a response to breaking news, development of coming out or, or being out in sports stories, and then thought pieces, because OutSports really is the thought leader in the space. When you do the, the pieces with the athletes where they're coming out, what are the things that you kind of tell them, because you've seen the process unfold with many people in the past, what do you tell them like as kind of a, a here's, here's how this is kind of going to play out sort of thing? The two things I tell almost everybody is number one, you're going to help somebody. Some people are like, well, my story is not very interesting. You know, I'm just, you know, front office executive at this team. And I assure everyone that someone is going to read your story and be inspired. So yes, there are some amazing, thrilling stories. Uh, years ago, we had this, this crazy story of a high school basketball player in Kentucky was kind of outed at a game and then the opposing team chased his bus. It was this crazy story. Yes, there are some of those stories, but a lot of them are just mundane. This is just kind of me. And that's the beauty of it that, wow, my coming out story was just kind of blah, like not a lot happened. And I think that's kind of the point of it. So I assure people that regardless of how interesting or enthralling their personal story might be, that it's going to touch somebody. And the second piece is you have to assume that everyone in the world is going to see this. So some people will say, well, you know, we've had minors say, I want to share my story, but, you know, I don't want to tell my mom that I'm doing it. No, we're not, we're not <laughs> doing that. Or a college athlete, well, I don't think my coach will see it. No. Your coach is going to see this. Welcome to the internet. One is going to see this. Mom's going to see it. Your high school friends are going to see it. And we have had to, particularly we've had some stories where the, the, the athlete just wasn't comfortable to just, you know, verbally tell their parent or their coach, because those are the, mainly the two requirements that we say your coach has to know. You don't want to blindside your coach with a coming out story. That would be a disaster. It, it could be a disaster. And so Within that, that you have to assume everyone in your personal life is going to see it. You have to assume everyone that you don't know is going to see it. And we tell them that 90, 99 to 100% of the responses are going to be positive. There might be 1% that's negative. But you also, we never know when a story is going to just explode. But, you know, you may have 200 Instagram followers and then in 24 hours, you have 5,000. That may not happen, but it might. And, and so you, they just have to be prepared that suddenly their phone may not stop buzzing for an entire day. And it might not, maybe, maybe 20 people will find their story. But those are kind of the two things that we prepare people for that your coach and your mom and your dad and your grandmother and your friends are all gonna see this. And so is everybody else. Segwaying slightly here, Carl Nassib is an NFL player, an openly gay NFL player. You wrote recently that you were pleased with essentially the evolution of the response to him. Can you articulate that and explain that piece for us? 
I wish everyone would just listen to me and, and would have listened to me years ago and, and Jim Bazinski at Outsports, my, the co-founder at Outsports, because we have been saying for years that this idea that an, a gay NFL player is going to be this, this permanent media relations problem for your team, that, that there's going to be this media circus surrounding the team and following the team like, like some, some crazed mob has just been totally absurd and totally overblown. And we've seen this with Jason Collins and Robbie Rogers, Michael Sam, every athlete who's come out. So to see Carl Nassib play for the Raiders, get released, go to a new team and have it be a blip on the radar screen. And, and by, certainly by week one, he's just another guy making plays. I mean, outside of Outsports and maybe one or two random publications, no one was mentioning that he's gay. And we have been saying this for years, years, that because we've seen it. We've seen this, this media reaction or public reaction that lasts 24, 48 hours, and then it just dies down and goes away. And then in training camp, it pops up for two questions, and then it just goes away. Because there's only so many times you can write as the, 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 the Denver Post or the New York Times or the Miami Herald, there's only so many times you can write gay man, you know, plays NFL game in week 14. Like, that's just not a story in week 14 <laughs> or even week one or two. So it was, I, I, again, if people just listen to what Outsports has been telling them for so many years about the, the, how the fear of homophobia, how the homophobia in, in particularly men's sports is totally overblown. I think that we'd have a lot more out athletes. And, and thankfully, a lot of younger athletes have listened to us. And they've had these really great experiences coming out where their coach is amazing and their team is amazing. And they're like, you guys were right. Are there other common mistakes that, that there's a, that like mainstream ma media make in their coverage? whether it's in that area or whether it's one of the topics that's become very front and center recently is female trans athletes being allowed to compete in women's sports. Are there mistakes that mainstream media are making that you would like to see them not make? The, when I get interviewed, the, you have not done this. And actually, you know, recently it's gotten better for a long, long time. I would, in the middle of interviews, stop the interview and say, you know, you've asked me about the challenges of being gay in sports. You've asked me about the potential problems, the hurdles, what issues they might overcome, what they might stand to lose. You have not asked me a single question about the joy of coming out in sports, about the incredibly positive reactions that everyone receives, about what they gain, about how much happier they are. Every single one of your questions has been so slanted negatively that you that I can tell you you aren't even opening the possibility in your writing or your thinking that you're wrong that it's actually fantastic and it's great when people come out and I've had some journalists a couple who maybe didn't know me as well get a little upset that I was criticizing them in the middle of an interview but a lot of them had said you're making a great point. I really appreciate that. And you're right, I was approaching this differently. And I'll point them to all the stories and I'll tell them, 
just just go find me three stories over the course of the last 10 years in men's sports where an athlete has come out and they have said they wish they hadn't or that it was negative. I can think of one and that was well, I, we, we, yeah, I won't even get into where it was or where it was, but I can think of one in 10 years over high school and college and pro sports. And so that's, so that's, so that's the mistake that I think a lot of journalists make. They, they focus too much on the negative. You asked me about trans women in women's sports. This is an evolving conversation. My perspective on it is evolving. A couple of the areas that that I would say we will end up, and I think that there is widespread agreement, though people on different sides refuse to acknowledge it, particularly on the LGBT activism side. Number one, at elite level sports, it's certainly college sports, professional sports, and Olympic sports, there must be physical transition requirements for transgender women. The idea that a trans woman would be allowed to compete in the Olympics or professional sports or college sports with zero medical and physical transition is absurd. We have advocates on saying that transgender women should not be forced to do any hormone replacement therapy to compete in female sports category. That's absurd. But unfortunately, there are some loud voices that are saying that there should be the transition requirements. And more and more, I believe that in high school, we can require the same. There is always the, the male sports category and some places are, are, are abandoning a male sports category and creating an open sports category so that people who compete in that category are not labeled male, but it is for anyone who is not either cisgender woman or a trans woman who has gone through extensive hormone replacement therapy and, and other criteria. So I think that is where we're headed. I, I, I think that the idea of a Leah Thomas competing at a national championship at the NCLA level anytime soon is very low. Uh, I, if you watch the reactions within the sports national governing bodies and from, from athletes who are speaking up, they don't want that. So what those transition requirements look like, I think is the question. Leah Thomas had gone through two years of HRT. You know, she did go from ranked nationally in, in the several hundreds to number one or number three or number five. So we have to look at that and, and we have to do a lot more studying. I want there to be a way for trans women to compete in the female category. Do, do you think a, the media is covering it well? It's that's a hard thing to grade. I think that certainly there's such a wide range of how the media is covering it. Yep. So, some I think are intentionally cruel to transgender women. I think that some are intentionally overly supportive. You know, things like, should trans women be able to compete in women's sports? Don't begin to cover what the real questions are. And that is, how do we make sure that it, in, a, in a sports world, 
that's divided by sex. How do we make a, a, a trans woman who was born male, how do we make it fair that she's competing against athletes who did not experience male puberty? And that really, to me, is the, is the underlying question, but some people on either side want to gloss over that question and want full-on bans or want full-on acceptance. And even Dr. Phil had a very thoughtful conversation, but it's clear he has a perspective. Everyone writing about this has a perspective. So it's just, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a mixed bag and, and some people are doing a better job than others. And it's just a really tough, tough, tough conversation to have right now. So I always like to go back and look through archives a little bit and look at past stories. And one that I pulled out for this conversation is one that you did on former Cincinnati Reds broadcaster Tom Brenneman, who was suspended and then fired by Fox Sports Cincinnati, Bally Sports, after using a gay slur on air on a hot mic, meaning he didn't think that he was broadcasting live. You advocated for Brenneman to be suspended, not fired, saying it was best that he do the work to learn the harmful impact of his words and learn more about the LGBTQ plus community. Brenneman did that, and you wrote about that as well, centering the people who had direct dealing with him on that subject, and you talked to him for a story that ran earlier this year. What was the experience of covering that story, and what kind of response did it get? So when it first came up that Tom had said this, I guess this was two years ago. Yep. The, most of the, I think most of the other people at Outsports wanted him gone. I was the outlier at Outsports. I have, I have said things in the past that I regret. I don't think I've used a slur like that, but I've said things that I regret. And very early on as people were, you know, marching with pitchforks to end his career. You, if I think you will find that consistently over time, I have argued routinely giving people a second chance. Jalen Daniels is one that I argued about giving a second chance. She blew her second chance and now she's out of the National Women's Soccer League. I'm a big fan of second chances. And it really felt to me right away like, Tom was getting the, the reaction was was undeserved given that I, I quickly talked to a couple people who had chatted with him and so I, I wrote that I, I just I just don't think this is the way to go I don't think our community the LGBT community gains a lot by trying to destroy everyone who makes a mistake and second chances are all about proving that that was a mistake to me, you know, and so within, I don't know, 12 hours of me publishing that first article, Tom very nicely emailed me and just said, I really appreciate what you wrote. Thank you. And, and I said, if you want to chat, I'm happy to. And, and we've probably talked, I don't know, 20 different times over two years. And it is so abundantly clear to anyone to, to, I guess I, I talked to one person who thought he was being dis disingenuous. Every other person that I have spoken to, and we're talking about probably a dozen people who have spent time with him, who know him, who just met him, they all say, this is not some performance. He really regrets what he did and he understands the significance of it. And for our community, for people in our community to 
try to destroy a career that a man has spent decades building because he said something completely inappropriate that should never have even crossed his mind. Uh, and, and I'll tell you that, you know, Tom has, a lot of people have asked, why did he say it? Well, Tom has shared with me, you know, a couple things that, that went on that night that what, what I would say is people don't understand the full story and he's not protecting anybody in the booth or anything like that. It was just a, it was the, the timing of it. He just made a mistake and a word came out and it just it breaks my heart that our community has some people in our community who don't know Tom have really tried to destroy him. And, and, and I really hope if he ultimately calls just one major league baseball game or one NFL game in his, the rest of his life, it will be to me a triumph of, for our community to say that you can make a mistake and support us and we can move on. I'm thinking as you talk about this, about the power of words and certainly the power of his words in that moment, how it impacted everything going forward, but also the power with that you have as someone who is the, who is a leading figure, media figure in the LGBTQ plus community. When you're coming up with story ideas and you're coming up with perspectives, you, you kind of talked about it here already, but just I'm curious about the idea of, you mentioned the community and how you, you're in certain ways, you're thinking of how the community responds to something. How does that come into play for you? For a long, long time, for my entire career at Outsports, I have often gone against the stream. I try to do it in thoughtful, respectable, respectful ways. But what it has done is given me opportunity to have conversations with people that people who may not otherwise trust a lot of LGBT people who, again, are, are approaching the castle with pitchforks and fire. And I try to be gracious. I'll tell you, there is one person who I am not particularly gracious with, and that's Tony Dungy, the former Colts and Tampa Bay Bucks coach who has been very public multiple times about his homophobia, has never recanted it, and that that he is on NBC every Sunday during NFL season talking about NFL games is a source of, I don't know, not pain, it's just frustration because, again, you talk about second chances. I'm all for second chance. I'll give somebody a third chance. Tony Dungy has had 15 years of opportunity to correct his gross opposition to same-sex marriage, what he said about Michael Sam, and he refuses to do it. And Tony Dungy, to me, is, is an example of someone who's, it's a dead end for our community, and that he's given a voice on NBC every Sunday night in the NFL season. Um, I don't know, that makes me, that makes me crazy. So, so, but, but I guess I'm, I'm, I'm getting away from your question a little bit. When I sit down and think about uh, thought pieces, it just, it depends on the topic. When, when I'm talking about trans athletes, I, 
I'm really careful. I try to be very careful about the words I choose because I'm not a trans athlete. When I talk about homophobia and use of gay slurs, I've been the target of gay slurs. I feel like I'm an expert in the area. I can speak for myself. But when I start venturing into topics that aren't about just you know homophobia against gay men or being gay or stuff like that, I really, I try to be helpful and I try to build bridges. The last thing that I want is to write, for example, a piece about trans athletes and have somebody tell me that I really hurt them and, and, and that I hurt them with something that I regret saying. So that that's what I, that's how, that's how I approach it. Again, I have said things in the past that people really got pissed off about. I, I did an interview a few years ago and I, I called professional male athletes who wouldn't come out cowards. And it's as soon as I woke up that morning and I, and I, as soon as I saw the headline, I said, Oh, that's ugly. And then I was like, Oh shit, that's my quote. (laughs) Oh, Oh my God. I did say that. Oh, Oh, that was terrible. And, and I immediately apologize. It just, it, it, it just, that kind of thing just breaks my heart that I wrote something that really at the core really hurt LGBT people in sport. So I try to avoid it, but you know, I, I guess that people, if we say nobody's perfect, I'm certainly not going to profess that I am. Let's, let's shift to something more positive. What's something that you're particularly proud of that you've done written journalism wise recently? Well, the thing I'm most proud of writing is that book, My Life on the Line, which is Ryan O'Callaghan's story of being gay and, 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 and playing for the Cal Bears and playing for the Patriots and the Chiefs and, and nearing suicide. And I'm really proud of that story. That, that, that's the best thing I've ever written. Put and Go ahead, sorry. It just, it just, it makes me emotional when I, <laughs> I read it and people tell me that it, it did the same for them. But I, I, I think the most, and I mentioned this earlier, the most gratifying thing is when I work with an athlete and they find the strength to come out and it goes exactly how I said it would. The coach says, I'm here for you. The, the guys in the locker room who used slurs or they thought would be problematic, give them a hug. And Cooper Gunn is a, a college athlete. He was, he played in, in New England. He was a soccer player. And he's, we haven't published it yet, but he wrote this great story about how he's not there anymore, but his team, one of his teammates got called a gay slur on the pitch recently. And the team, even with Cooper not there, said, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. You're not getting away with that. And that, that, that we can inspire at Outsports people to come out and, and, and help other people who maybe not aren't LGBT see the power of words and their own power in stopping those pretty cruel words. That's, that's pretty special. I've added this question recently because I, I feel it's a good one for journalists to answer. How has being a journalist changed you as a person and changed how you look at the world? 
I listen better. I think certainly journalism, you have to you have to write, right? You have to write or you have to speak. Right? You have to do one of those two <laughs> things. You have to express what's in your head. But I think people don't consider the way you got there. And that's listening and asking questions. When I was at Stanford, the best class that I took, I took, I took political science from Condoleezza Rice. I took film history from a great film history. I took, I took, I had, you know, impressive professors at Stanford. The best class I took was called precision questioning. It was an entire quarter of how do you ask questions to get the answers that you want? And I think that's been perfecting that. And, and, and part of that is listening and processing what you hear. I think that to me, that's, that's the best part of journalism to me. That's what's made me better person is just being able to listen and ask questions and get to the point. When I talk to people who aren't journalists, that doesn't always happen. But I think that I think that if we as good journalists do that really well. All right. And to wrap up, is there a journalist or journalism organization? It can be it ideally is one that you're not affiliated with that you would like to salute for their good work as we're saluting you for yours. Well, I, I'm not sure this is the best answer you want. I'm not associated with LZ Granderson, but LZ is a friend of mine. LZ is a a sports and culture journalist for the LA Times. He's been with ESPN, CNN. LZ just does, he's really observationally, just good work. He's a gay black man, a kid. And I just think LZ does a lot of good work. So if you're looking for somebody to follow on social media or read more of, I'd track down LZ. Sid Ziegler, Outsports.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.